fed up with queues at the airport, frustrated at the lack of customer service from the airlines, concerned about the cost of travel and don't know where to complain. After a lengthy break from the airways, perspective is back. John Pennington and Brendan O'Friel from Travel Watch join me and Alex Allenson, Minister for Enterprise, to talk all things relating to travel. I began by asking Brendan O'Friel, why is Travel Watch finally coming to an end? Travel Watch is no more from the end of March. And the reason for that essentially is that on the one hand, we've done 15 years and achieved some things. Um, On the other hand, life's just become a little bit too difficult really to carry on. That's partly our fault because we fail to attract um, the bright young things who we need to hand over to. But it's also, frankly, uh, I think we made a mistake becoming a charity because for a small charity, the regulations are very difficult. Uh, They tend to turn you into a minor bureaucracy instead of looking after the objects of the charity. And we weren't very chuffed about the threats from the Isle of Man Bank to start charging an awful lot for charity funds, which seemed to me to be quite out of order. Well, fortunately, we we have a a member of Tinwald with us, uh, and indeed a minister, uh, Alex Allenson. Uh, Great to have you on the programme. Uh, And and I hadn't really thought we would be going in the direction of charities, but um, certainly as someone who is involved with runs, uh, is a director of several charities on the Isle of Man, this this has been quite a significant concern. We seem to be now uh, servicing the needs of the bureaucrats rather than getting on with the purposes of our charities. Uh, so is that something you recognise? Is that something that's being discussed it's in some, the council? It's been discussed. In the, in the last administration, we had some quite wide-ranging legislation about the registration of charities. That was taken over by the Attorney General's office. And a lot of that was on the basis of trying to professionalise charities to get them on an even keel. The Isle of Man people are incredibly generous. We have a huge number of charities, but they all work in slightly different ways. And it was trying to standardise that. And part of that is bringing in some governance so that people know if they give money to a charity, it's used for the right reason. And that may have been lacking previously with, with charities not keeping up to date in terms of who were running the charities or what their accounts were. So I think there was a need for that. The other aspects that obviously you, you've mentioned is charity banking. And certainly in terms of the Department for Enterprise, we are working with the finance sector to ensure that charity banking can continue without excessive charges. Um, but again, when we look at that, um, you've got huge numbers of charities, some who bank huge amounts of money, some who don't, um, and have almost dormant accounts. So it's trying to, trying to get that right so that we can continue with the way we're going, but also looking at going more cashless as well. So quite a few charities have taken up online donations, online banking, helps them, helps the banks as well. We're in a very, very much a changing world, and, and our legislation needs to reflect that. And, and that is all well and good, but... Um, I think what uh, Brendan was saying there is that um, effectively the bureaucracy is too great for the charity to continue. Uh, It's spending all its time servicing the bureaucracy rather than getting on with the main purposes of the 
of the charity. So is it time to perhaps have a review of this? You know, you talk about professionalising charities. Actually, the the very definition of charity is that they are not professionals. They are volunteers who come together to do good things. Could I make a suggestion? And that is that uh, I think it would be helpful if there was a way of subdividing the charities into the very small ones and the large ones. I don't have any problem about the large ones having uh, a reasonably rigorous um, governance uh, operation. But for the small ones, I think it's overkill. Mm -hmm. Now, whether that's the original legislation, whether it's the way it's being implemented, I don't know. I've, I've heard different interpretations about that. But I do think something should be done to allow the smaller charities that are doing excellent work on the island uh, from continuing with a less demanding governance regime. Yeah. I mean, I, as I remember when the legislation went through, there was that cut-off between your annual income. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, for, for, for your point of view, um, members decided not to have that distinction. I think in terms of the review of the charities legislation, that is ongoing through the AG's office. And hopefully, once they, they've got everyone registered, once they can see how things run for a year or so, they can then refine that. Uh, we're, we're talking about travel and Travel Watch. Uh, uh, John Pen- Pennington is, is also joining us from Travel Watch. Uh, John, um, what would you say have been the highlights over the... Well, how many years has it been uh, that uh, Travel Watch has been in existence? It's, I believe, nearly 15, 15 years. years. 15 years. Yes, we've had some successes. Um, for example, uh, when you were minister, Phil, you invited a Travel Watch representative, in fact myself, to sit on your Strategic Sea Services Working Group. Um, this was very much a multidisciplinary um, organisation or panel, uh, which considered the future of the steam packet, the ownership of the steam packet, and the user agreement. And I would hope. Um, Travel Watch was able to present the the passenger viewpoint to what was quite a complex uh, ongoing situation. And and effectively, that that was the whole point of Travel Watch, wasn't it? Uh, Travel Watch was there um, because, uh, presumably, you you felt that the passenger's voice was was rarely heard in the corridors of power or indeed in the, the boardrooms of the various travel operators. Yes, I think this is one of the disappointments that on the island there's no official independent body to represent transport users. I think it's, unlike in, in the UK, it's particularly important, I think, when you have monopoly operators such as the, the Steam Packet and uh, Bus Vanin, that there is some sort of passenger representation. Because monopolies, however ma- well run they may be, they tend to have a take-it-or-leave-it uh, uh, attitude as they're not facing competition. Uh, the threat from wind farms, where we had excellent cooperation between Travel Watch and the Steam Packet and, and then later with government departments, on the planning application for the Walney Extension Wind Farm. Um, I think it was possibly because Travel Watch was more familiar with the UK planning procedures than anyone else that we were able to provide a very useful role so that we, the Steam Packet and the government uh, departments here, could present a case um, regarding the extension of of Walney Extension and the possible future proposed Rhiannon wind farm, that we said, look, 
we need to consider the shipping aspects of the of all the proposals and not be picked off one by one because the ferry route um, through the wind farms is is a vital subject for the island. Um, the the steam packet uses different routes depending on uh, weather conditions, particularly bad weather in winter, and there needs to be sufficiently wide corridors through the wind farms so that the steam packet can continue to use these routes. And, and this isn't a problem that's just going to go away, is it? I mean, the, the, this is a continuing issue that uh, somebody's going to have to keep monitoring and, and, and being aware of. I'm sure the steam packet uh, will. Um, but uh, I don't know, Brendan, um, you, uh, you were t- telling me uh, before the programme that this is a, a continuing concern um, for Travel Watch. And, oh, and, absolutely. Uh, the um, Not surprisingly, because of course we've got a much huger problem over the whole climate change issue. Um, there, there will be um, big, big programs to try and increase the amount of um, energy we can uh, take from wind farms. Uh, and there's no doubt about it, there will be um, quite properly uh, attempts to increase the number of wind farms around the Irish Sea. Um, the task will be to make sure that those take proper account of shipping interests as well. And we need to build a coalition with particularly the Port of Liverpool, but other maritime users and the rest of it, um, to make sure that as the plans develop, because they are starting to develop now, and this is the time we need to get in there and make sure we're having some influence, um, that we protect the steam packet vital routes. There's a sense in which Travel Watch having worked for 15 years, has set out some parameters, has given a lead, it's now for other people. And who knows, in five, ten years' time, some other issue may come up and a new transport users group may, may develop, if the need is there. Yeah, but here, the island and the, the steam packet company need to make the case as soon as possible. The Rhiannon wind farm, which would have affected the Liverpool route, that w- their proposals were withdrawn um, due to conditions on the seabed. However, wind farms are now being developed where the windmills are just tethered to the seabed and float. So the, the, there are likely to be proposals again which will potentially affect particularly the Liverpool route. And the Crown Estates issue these licences and take very little heed of shipping routes. The, uh, the, uh, the Rhiannon wind farm, for example, that could potentially have encroached on the separated shipping lanes around Anglesey. So the Crown Estate is issuing these licences, giving little, very little heed to shipping interests. And that's why it's important we develop um, really a coalition of big shipping interests, much bigger than us, but that we, we, we've got a distinctive voice in there because of our unique position in the middle of the Irish Sea. You're listening to Perspective with me, Phil Gorn. On this afternoon's show, I'm joined by Travel Watchers John Pennington and Brendan O'Friel and Minister for Enterprise Alex Allenson. The whole issue of uh, the, 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 the purchase of the steam packet by Isle of Man government, uh, I mean, this was, it's not, not nationalised, it's, it's bought and wholly owned by the Isle of Man government, and it's operated at arm's length from the Isle of Man government. Um, so, 
uh, I suppose the first question is, uh, how is all that going? Is, is it working as was expected when the purchase was made? Yes, you're quite right that the Treasury is the key shareholder of the Alamance Steam Packet Company, but has that arm's length agreement in terms of operations. Of course, what's happened since the purchase has been COVID, and suddenly that business case um, went out the window, and then having the ability to determine the routes and the schedule became more important than ever. If it had been left to commercial interest, they probably wouldn't have bothered coming in every day the council ministers asked them to so that we had those direct supplies both for food um other uh, resources medical equipment coming in and out really really quite quickly so it's been very important i think that relationship needs to gradually mature and i think the the relationship will mature um the managing director brian thompson now sits on the visit agency with the department for enterprise and so is linked in with tourism and so it's it's looking at the steam packet as not just the private company running a ferry but as a key part of driving and improving the Isle of Man economy and also providing a service for people either visiting the island or residents going backwards and forwards perhaps uh, john will recall this when when we were having discussions uh, what will it be now, six, seven years ago, um, about the future of the steam packet. Uh, what was clear was um, the steam packet was supplying two markets, effectively, the, the, the day-to-day uh, travel from people wanting to go away, uh, people coming to the island, and then business. Uh, and the business um, uh, traffic tended to be the midnight boat and the the, the day-to-day uh, passengers uh, who, who wanted to travel to and from the island tended to want to have a more uh, reasonable hour of the day to be traveling um, significant sums could be saved I think we identified if we only ran maybe one service uh, at, at uh, certain times of the year when when the routes were less uh, less busy um, is, is that the sort of conversation that's going on uh, between the steam packet and the Alabama government at the moment? Um, or if it isn't, um, how would such a conversation be raised um, in, in, in the future? Yeah, I mean, what, what looks quite sensible on a balance sheet operationally has issues because the supply chains that some of the big retailers, particularly the food retailers, run are very, very tight. Literally, the food on that's on, on the shelves arrives that morning. And so that's why the overnight uh, or very early in the morning ferries are really quite important for business. You're quite right that for travellers, they want something that's that's a, a little bit of a more suitable hour. And often they want to go straight into the centre of Liverpool rather than arrive at Haysham. And so having that variety is quite important. But also you've got to have that resilience in the service. So if you get silting up at Haysham or if you get very bad weather or some problem at Liverpool, you've got a backup plan. And so that that resilience does tend to add a bit of extra cost into the overall service, but is really important for an island nation. And from a travel watch point of view, um, has there been any uh, significant concerns since the the, the Isle of Man government purchased the steam packet? Was there any any big dramatic change noticed, or, or, or has it just been business as usual? We've argued for quite a long time that. The thing that was lacking between not just the steam packet, but the travel operators and um, the passenger was an emphasis 
on finding out what passengers thought, what they needed, um, and taking proper account of that. So, for example, you might do a satisfaction survey run independently um, that tells you what passengers are pleased with, but also what passengers are having problems with. Um, and that needs to go right across the board, buses, air and sea. Now, if that was built in, we could be a little bit more confident that uh, the management were taking, well, were aware, first of all, of what the issues were, and then it will be down to, down to people to put pressure on the management to say, you're not taking enough account of it, if indeed they weren't. And of course, were such a service to exist, it would pay, play, play havoc with the ratings for the Manon line, because uh, the, the, one of the, the guaranteed uh, blood boiler topics is uh, is c- complaints or concerns about various travel operators. Um, uh, but but effectively, it, it's a relatively simple thing to do, isn't it? To introduce a proper complaints service to to possibly have a, uh, a, a some some form of passenger representation on the board these, these things aren't difficult and they're not they're not unusual in the travel they're certainly not unusual and the great value is of course that if you then publish the results of that um that so they're, they're available to the to the public and particularly if you um publish the results of complaints what are people complaining about and what's the company or the organization doing about those complaints if we can get that in and that's pretty common um, in other parts uh, of these islands um, and for example the passenger surveys on trains is actually run by the passenger watchdog so there's an independent element to that you can guarantee it's not being fixed by the big buses and is that is there a need for an independent watchdog on the Isle of Man, would you say, or is this something that uh, can be done um, in, in some other form, working with the, the actual travel operators, uh, maybe creating their own uh, bodies or their own uh, systems? I think there are a number of ways of doing it, and you've got to be prepared to change, to try things, to see what works. The test is, do passengers feel that when they raise issues, they get dealt with? That's the important thing. Now, there will always be some issues that you can't deal with. They're just too too difficult, you know, that somebody wants a bus w- once a week uh, to a remote part of the island, and it's just not economical. Um, but uh, a lot of complaints are actually quite sensible. There are things that can be done, not necessarily to completely meet them, but to go some way to meet them. And if there's that uh, openness in the management of a transport undertaking, then passengers feel... Uh, much more happy about what's going on. So, so Minister, it, it does sound like a relatively straightforward thing to introduce what, uh, the, 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 what, what Travel Watch is looking for here. Uh, is this something that um, either you or, or, or indeed the Treasury can, can actually approach the Isle of Man steam packet and say, look, can we formalise uh, the way in which passengers can make com- complaints or can engage uh, with the management uh, to to um, a- address these issues? I think we're already seeing that. There was quite a widespread consultation over the new vessel, for instance, and what people wanted, not just the name of it, but what facilities they wanted. And again, it's getting that balance right between quality of service and price of service. But, but I think most 
modern companies now have to look at their customer relations, even if they are a monopoly, and get that right. I mean, it makes business sense as well as common sense. And I, I'd like to hope that as we move forward, all the transport operators on our island can, can be listening more to their customers, can be more responsive and more accountable. That's the way you get good service. And that's, in the long term, how you improve services as well. The, the other thing I think it's worth saying, Phil, about... Um issues for passengers that quite often they're relatively small and relatively inexpensive that the very first thing that we took up as, as travel watch was a complaint that came to me frankly from a number of people um, about the bus stop and bus information at the airport and um, the problem was that the bus timetable was actually displayed on the bus stops outside the airport where the lighting was awful and of course you were exposed to the weather um, and I still smile whenever I go into the airport because we've now got it displayed very well, all the bus information in a, an enclosed area, good lighting, and you know uh, people should be able to sort out very easily when the next bus is coming and where it's going to. As a, as a follow-on, can I add that in the bus shelters on Lord Street, it's equally difficult even now to read the timetables. So if you could pass that minister to your colleagues. Certainly. So there's the change in the way people access that information. So I'm aware that the online app now is, is available so that you can check not only when the bus is due, but where it is and if it's running late and, and actually get, get on it. So the, there are different ways of dealing with these issues. But what is really important is listening to the voice of the consumer and the user so that you get it right. Well, we, we seem to hop on an express uh, bus away from the airport but I'm going to I'm going to uh, ask us to do a detour back to the airport because there have certainly in in the last uh, few uh, weeks months been quite a number of of complaints and concerns about um the the way in which the airport has been operating people um complaining about very very significant queues uh, surely these sorts of things could have been predicted Judging by the, the amount of people ringing up the Manon line, the, the Manx public are basically not happy with, with what's been going on. Uh, Minister, I mean, can you sh shed any light on, 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 on what has been happening? C certainly. I mean, can we, can, we, can we look at a cross to begin with? Because some of the worst queues that I've ever seen were outside Manchester Airport, I think, recently. A lot of these are due to what's happened over the last two years. So most of the airports closed down. Most of their security staff went... They've then gradually rehired them, but we've seen rapid changes in the travel restrictions over the last couple of months, particularly, not only in the UK, but Ireland and, and further. And so suddenly people wanted to travel again. And I think there has been a lag with a lot of the airports rehiring staff, re regaining customer services. You only have to go through Gatwick at the moment. Half of it's a, a building site. They, they haven't spent the last two years investing. They've spent it reacting to, to the downturn. Coming on to, to the, the Isle of Man, it, Roland Suede, I know that there were some isolated cases where there were large queues. I think that they were due to staff shortages because people were off with COVID, plus some of the machines had broken down as well, which they do because of the enhanced security. And I'm very apologetic for that. What the Department for, for Infrastructure are doing is trying to make sure that as we get towards the tourist season, the um, Ronaldsway Airport is as good as it possibly can be and, and is up and running to cater for large numbers of people. And then we get on to the, the wider policy decision in terms of corporatisation, which comes back to listening to the, to the user of the, of the airport and actually providing the best service possible. Can, can we come on to the training of staff at the airport, the ones doing the security checking? 
people and their luggage. I think there's a really need for a charm offensive there. Over the years, my wife and I travelled regularly between Ronald's Way and Liverpool. Liverpool used to be horrendous for security. And then it improved out of all recognition. The staff was still thorough, but it was a much pleasanter experience. At Ronald's Way, it's gone in the other direction. Another case of a patient travelling through there without an escort, and she was with a broken arm, and she was told by the, the staff there that she was expected to lift her tray onto the conveyor rather than them. That really is unacceptable. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, so, I'm sorry to hear about that. I mean, when I've gone through Ronsway, without a broken arm, admittedly, I've always found them quite quite helpful and courteous and, and, and smiling. But I, I'd agree with you that when you come to, to customer service, particularly for, for vulnerable people, patient transport, transfers, people with, with disabilities, it's very important we get it right. And I think in terms of the, the training, we can always do more training and more recognition of, of, of people. I mean, using the sunflower lanyards, for instance, has come in there now so that people with um, perhaps disabilities that, that aren't obvi- obvious are recognised as needing extra support by the security staff. Mm. But the question that was raised in Tinwald a couple of weeks ago was, who is running the airport? Who is responsible for safety? Now, an explanation was given, not very convincing, but there seems to be a major issue in, in filling vacant, post, uh, vacant posts at the airport, senior management posts. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's two issues there. The Department for Infrastructure, obviously, in overall control of, of the airport. You're quite right, there have been some management changes, and a lot of that is on the back of two years where the airport really wasn't running that, um, that much at all, and people were then being sent to other areas in government to, to, to deal with COVID. And so it's trying to bring them all back, consolidate, reset what the airport does. Um, but certainly, in terms of a government response, I have every every faith in the Department for Infrastructure getting things back on track, repairing what, what needs to be repaired around the airport, and actually replacing some of those staff who've moved on to other, other fields. Well, I'd, I'd counsel, Minister, that you remain slightly sceptical, because 15 years of work with Travel Watch, while the airport has made progress in some areas, there are, are some areas where very little progress has been made, and um, issues like problems with security, um, staff attitudes, um, delays in being able to onward transfer from the airport, those have been consistent across the 15 years. And a really key issue is what happens when there is serious service disruption. I mean, that applies to the steam packet as well. It is very difficult when that happens because sometimes you get very little warning and you don't seem to have any staff, but there doesn't appear to be an adequate contingency plan for getting additional staff and for dealing with things properly. But there have been some real horror stories about um, people being left um, stranded um, and with nobody to give them advice. And we should be able to do better, particularly given that we're trying to make the island an attractive destination for people wanting to come here. And my advice would be we've got some way to go and that needs watching, particularly from your department, because your department's got the great interest in, you know, encouraging tourism and so forth. And, uh, absolutely. And, and I, again, I, I'm sorry to see Travel Watch go. 
but there is that need for for that two-way relationship between well three-way relationship really between industry government and the consumer and i hope that the visit agency can pick that up when we do a lot of you know customer satisfaction survey and how, how many people have landed on the island and what they've spent we need to then feed that back to the travel sector and feed that back to the to the department that are running the airport to try to get it as right as possible you you gently dropped in the corporatization uh, word there, uh, Minister. Uh, that, that's a very interesting concept. I mean, we, we uh, uh, currently, the, the, the airport is, is publicly owned, run by Isle of Man government, primarily uh, government staff, but uh, various uh, elements of the work is, is contra- contracted out uh, to, to other um, companies. Corporatisation, uh, certainly going back to my time at, uh, at the Department of Infrastructure, uh, was something we looked at, and significant savings to the taxpayer uh, could certainly be made by doing that. Uh, however, uh, the taxpayer would uh, not have to pay as much through taxes towards the airport, but by golly, they would have to pay uh, when they went to park their car or if they went to buy a cup of tea or, or all the other services that they would consume from the airport. Uh, bearing in mind the, the, the reaction that you get for, for relatively minor increases in car parking charges at the airport, is this is this something that Isle of Man government is seriously considering at this point? So I brought it up because we have had, we had a, a, a whole debate in the last administration about corporatisation as a way of both dealing with revenue and the expense to the general taxpayer, but also as a way of driving um, innovations and improvements. You're quite right that some things have been outsourced at, at the airport, such as baggage handling, such as a lot, most of the security. That was primarily to, to save the taxpayer money. Do we need to go further in terms of increasing the um, facilities at the, at the airport where the investment can come through, where they can be more flexible in terms of the services they provide? Because some of the original work on Rollsway showed that the amount people spend as they're going through and eating and drinking is relatively low compared with other airports. Mm-hmm. We've got a fairly small uh, duty-free area, fairly small coffee area, which is owned, uh, operated by, by Costa. Could we do more in terms of the customer experience there and enlarge it? And so I think corporatisation certainly is, is, is back on the agenda as a way of driving forward improvements. It certainly has the potential to save significant sums for, to, to the taxpayer. Mm-hmm. But at the moment, it's a publicly owned, publicly run airport with a budget which isn't perhaps sufficient to to provide the quality service that the public want is that an area that's being or has been discussed uh, during your time in, in council of ministers and is that something uh, which bearing in mind we're about to open up the island again we're going to get more visitors coming through uh, are we looking at ways in which the 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 budget for the airport can be improved so that the enhanced service that everyone's crying out for uh, can actually be delivered. I mean, most of the big amounts spent on the on the airport have been on key things such as the fire service there, though those key essentials that you need to get right in terms of um, travellers' safety. In terms of going forward, yes, there needs to be money spent on on the airport. Money is being spent there to to improve, to regenerate it after two years. Money is similarly being spent on the sea terminal where people come on. And obviously we've had a a, a huge amount of debate at the sea terminal in Liverpool as well that's being built and and the issues they've had with with that. I think all these are driving forward improvements for both visitors and residents alike. 
but how you how you then make sure that that improvement continues i think is up for debate corporatization wouldn't necessarily change ownership of, of the airport might change the management and you could argue that, that the management at this stage is the key in terms of getting the, the customer experience as good as possible but also get, making sure that the staff are trained and looked after themselves one of travel watch's campaigning issues has been uh, the, the 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 government's open skies policy what 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 are your thoughts now on on that is is that still something that you feel perhaps needs to happen well we, we've certainly always advocated and i think um right up to closing down continue to advocate the notion that um some degree of protection was needed for two key routes one to the london basically and one to the northwest and uh, that should be protected by um the way we license other operators in in those areas um, what did concern us was that the danger always is that you get a, a large operator who's got a spare aircraft, flies in when it suits that operator um, pr- and doesn't actually provide the service the island really needs, which is a regular, reliable service, um, but it does provide some very cheap flights. And there's there's a real conflict there, and I feel for the politicians who are obviously under pressure from the voters to say that's very cheap for goodness sake let's have more of that but the reality is that the the island also needs regular reliable uh, predictable services particularly when you are going off island and you're going to fly on to some further destination and the isle of man we've bought the isle of man steam packet um should we own an airline I think that will be fraught with difficulties. On the other hand, you need to be very careful if you're putting routes out to tender, tendering, particularly if you're evaluating on quality and price, can be a fraught process. And if you get it wrong, there's the threat then of legal action. So tread very carefully. Um, When we're looking at buses, trains, sea services, our services. The common factor is the Department of Infrastructure, which, of course, you're well familiar, uh, very familiar. We hear talk across of the the Westminster bubble. Is there a Tinwald bubble on the island? But certainly, I think it's fair to say the Department of Infrastructure seems to live in a different world from the rest of us. It, it's what is the future for the Department of Infrastructure and its different responsibilities in their election manifestos last year both uh, Alfred Cannon and Tim Crookall were quite critical of the department. They're now in a position to do something about it. It's how do we see the future of the Department of Infrastructure? How, how good are government departments at sorting out what is essential and what is merely desirable? Let me give you one small example. Bus Vanin seems to have a budget for raising curbs at rural bus stops. Now, is that necessary? when those bus stops are served by modern buses with suspensions which allow the floors to be lowered. Yet, the dialer, what is in effect a dialer dialer ride service, Mm. is using minibuses involving several steps. Mm. There seems to be a contradiction there. Now, it's quite a sizable budget being spent on raising curbs. Is that money well spent? And I I suppose that's... uh, 
one that the DOI minister would be better placed to yeah. answer, but I don't know, Minister uh, Allenson, have you got a, a view on that? Yeah, I, if I can just say, I think one of the issues that's been highlighted with the DOI is the size and the scope yeah. of, 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 yeah. of what it does, mm. and trying sometimes to separate out the policy and strategy from the operation and delivery, mm -hmm. because at the moment they, they can all be wrapped up. To take aviation policy, for instance, that's been work with Department for Enterprise, with Treasury and with DOI working together to, to figure out the best way of re-establishing air routes. And then very much the Department for, for Infrastructure providing that through the airport. I think in terms of bus vanning, that they have had issues in terms of dealing with the cost of rural routes with a decreasing budget. And also in terms of accessibility, particularly for those with disabilities. And but since we've got the equality legislation now, having mm. to fulfil that, and mm. and so there is mm. that 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 dichotomy there, that struggle. But certainly in terms of the the operation of the bus service, they they are asked to do a huge amount, mm. and are still wrestling with that given the budget. One of the things that I've been very encouraged by since Alf Cannon became chief minister is that we have dealt, we are dealing with a COVID crisis, we're now dealing with a very, very much a, a, an inflationary crisis, and we don't know what's going to happen with Ukraine and the problems going forward. The response of this administration has not been to cut, but been to invest. And that's how you deal with these issues. Otherwise, Phil, I think you're absolutely right. You, you can make short-term gains but at very long-term costs. And we're seeing that not just in DOI, but in the health service as well. Mm. Those those cuts that were brought in around that time caused the extended waiting lists that have continued and continued. And now Manx Care are trying to deal with it. So I think it's the way that government look at investment in infrastructure and transport infrastructure is key for an mm. island nation. Mm. Government obviously has a uh, is it £130 million uh, budget deficit uh, for this, this coming uh, financial year. Um, reserves are, are still looking pretty good. Um, but, the I mean, you, you touched on it there, the, you know, the U Ukrainian war is causing very significant uh, global pressures, uh, added to which I think uh, there were, the pressures were, were going to be there before the war anyway. Um, but certainly uh, in relation to travel and particularly fuel uh, prices, uh, this is going to have a, a quite a dramatic impact, um, which possibly blows a hole uh, below the waterline for your department's, uh, or indeed the government's plans, to increase the number of travellers to the Isle of Man uh, to up to half a million a year. But there's a, there's a contrary argument, I think, Phil, and that is that... Um, the uh, cost pressures that are in everybody's pocket across the world uh, because of inflation and so forth, um, these may make more people look at the shorter option, the staycation. There may be a huge opportunity for the island today. I was just discussing on the way in in the car the fact that a couple of South Coast companies, Brighton and that sort of place, are lifting their profit forecast because they are expecting an increase in staycation this year. Um, and that may well be a useful signal that the, the island has an opportunity. What we've got to do now is to deliver on that by providing the people who come with a really good experience. That's, and, that's and, the key. And core to that is that people are going to be able to afford to come over. Oh, absolutely. And, and uh, I suppose that's the question. I mean, um, what, what thought is going into uh, how 
how this might impact on, on the visiting uh, industry over the course of the next uh, oh, well, this, this coming summer. Yeah, you've got the short-term effects of a, a sudden rise in fuel costs, n- unlike anything since we see, we've seen in the 70s, but yeah. for very different reasons. Uh, and also on top of that, some seismic changes in terms of tourism. I think a lot of reticence about people travelling further abroad. And the elephant in the room we haven't mentioned yet, which is climate change. Mm-hmm. I, I, I was in Morag Park over the weekend, looked up to the sky and saw seven vapour trails. Mm-hmm. I, rem- I remember this time last year, there were none. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you know, it was, it was that much a change in terms of the way we travel and, and the travel industry. And, and I don't think we've, we've managed to process that yet, which is possibly why we're seeing some of the queues and around, around airports in, in the UK and further afield. We have a, a strategy about um, the, the visit economy coming to Timwald in May, and it addresses some of these issues in terms of connectivity, in terms of how we cater for more people on the island, but also do it in a sustainable way. Yeah. And and that is a balancing act that we, we have to work very hard to get right. But hopefully we'll have a good debate on, on that strategy and can take that forward over the next 10 years. Because, of course, as Brendan, I think, rightly points out, not just the uh, the issue of the potential cost of, of, of going away, the, the tensions as a result of there being a war in Europe, but, but also the, the whole issue with COVID and potential that countries may decide to lock down and, and people get caught uh, some you know, several hundred, if not thousands of miles away from home. Uh, this probably will be playing on people's minds and will encourage them to come to places like the Isle of Man if we can get the uh, the, the offering right. Yeah, with any um, crisis, with, with any disruption, there's always opportunities and risks and it's seizing on those opportunities and marketing the Isle of Man as a very safe place to come, but also giving the right experience both on the ferry across or the plane across when people arrive and when they stay here. And I think there has been a perhaps lack of investment in some of the um, visitor infrastructure. We've had some new hotels being built, but we can still do better if we're going to expand the number of people coming, coming to stay here. I'm sure listeners would would poke me in the eyes with a stick if I didn't ask this question. Uh, You know, we've had two years with no TT and we're going to, the TT is going to happen and uh, we won't, we won't have replaced the scoreboard uh, in in the meantime. So um, surely there's been a bit of bad planning gone on there somewhere. Well, planning is the word because we've got planning uh, an application in at the moment for for the replacement scoreboard. The the old scoreboard needed needed to come down. A decision was made to pull it down. A consultation was held in terms of what people wanted to, as a replacement. We're going to have replacement scoreboards for for this TT, but going forward into 2023, um, we'll be bringing it back bigger and better, and and we will have a new scoreboard there. A, 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 a permanent one what we're looking for at the moment is is, is what planning will let us do you know, on the, on that side and then taking that forward but this isn't a new issue is it i mean this i, I know plans were in place to um to to rejuvenate repair the the glen crutchery road um certainly while i was uh, still still minister that you know they, they were in fairly advanced stages at that point i mean that's five nearly six years ago now you know, you've had this golden opportunity of two years without a tt and uh, you're, you're still sort of suggesting that it's all the planners fault and no, um, no i'm not i'm not saying it's the planners fault but but the the, the plans are in the intention is there but again as we've just said there are lots of com- you know competing priorities for government budget 
do we spend money on a TT scoreboard or do we spend it in the hospital? As we come out of a difficult economic um, time and a difficult time for our island in terms of health and are plunged into another difficult time um, with increasing inflation and a, and a war in Ukraine, the, the Treasury quite rightly need to look at, at, at their own spreadsheets and see where money should be best placed and, and invested. I'm confident we can get the scoreboard back, but more confident that you know in a couple of months' time we'll have road racing back on our island after two years. To the government's credit, being a small island, they can be nimble. Um, an example of how the government rose to the situation was during the start of the COVID pandemic, the way it maintained our services to Liverpool for patient transfer. At one, time, at one time, this was the only service running into Liverpool Airport, and yet it was kept open. That was an example of the government rising to the occasion, being nimble, flexible, and one would hope in the future, for things like sorting out the TT and other matters, they can, describe, uh, they can be similarly nimble. If we're looking at things that we're doing right, um, I'd like to sort of switch the focus a little from the big things like TT to some of the small things. I've been very struck um, working as I have been as chair of the Road Transport Licensing Committee about some of the new initiatives that have come from perhaps one or two individuals um, in providing new services for people visiting the island, things like the golf tours, um, things like uh, people organising special photographic um, tours around the island, mm. somebody who set up um, an organisation to take people out to beauty spots and give them a really nice meal on the spot, um, the, the trikes that can yeah. go around the, the course, all those are excellent and it shows there's plenty of innovation around. We want to encourage that and I'm yeah. sure from you know, your department's point of view, anything you can do to encourage that will be a good thing. It may not affect a lot of people, but by goodness, if it's good quality, people go back and talk yeah. about it and say, that was good. No. And I, I suppose the question then, uh, Brent, because I, I, I would agree, I mean, the, these are great examples. How do you encourage that? Is indeed, is government the right uh, vehicle or the right agency to, to do that encouraging? Um, or is is there a need perhaps for government to to kind of let go some of the control and hand over to innovators to, to, to actually come up with some of these uh, really good ideas. I mean, the, the role of government in terms of tourism is to enable change, to enable improvement, to enable mm. development. Mm. And there's grants there, there's changes in legislation if necessary to free things up. In terms of the visit agency, it is that model of bringing private um, enterprise, bringing innovation, allowing it to have that two-way conversation with government and try to try to get that support and try to get get that encouragement mm. to develop. And I completely agree with you when you look at the, the visit strategy, as I said, that's coming forward, it's looking at how we can widen the opportunities for tourism, how we can do that right the way through the year. The, the, the scenery, and we've got a Timwell committee looking at the footpaths and seeing how we mm. can improve those so we can get people coming over for walking holidays, mm. how we can look at people using the most of what Manx National Heritage has and having access to those sites there's that whole re way that we can grow the tourism sector right across 12 months rather than just concentrate on TT which is very important mm. but 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 shouldn't be at the detriment of everything else that's going on well we're, we're starting to get towards the end of the program now and uh, I suppose from the the, the the two travel watch uh, gentlemen it would be remiss of me not to give you an opportunity to describe the legacy 
of the the past 15 years uh, or so of of travel watch uh, what are your standout moments uh, highlights the the big achievements for the organization it's been very interesting uh, running public meetings over on the island um, for uh, travel-related issues. These, by and large, have been to try and improve uh, the public's understanding of issues, to allow them to ask questions, and to crystallise issues. And on the whole, those have been, I think, very successful. Um, And they're something that um, uh, I think should be borne in mind for the future. It it, it was a model that was used, that I'd seen used across and had been involved with, and um, it works very well on the island. And is is, is that something that needs to happen more often? Um, Well, I don't know about more often, but I think a targeted occasional public meeting discussing a transport um, passenger focused sort of issue is, is, is well worth doing. Something perhaps that the uh, Minister for Enterp- Enterprise could lead on. Um. I'd be, be more than happy to, but one of the benefits of, of Travel Watch has always been its independence. Exactly. And, yes. and, and the fact that, that, that people put a lot of trust in what you do mm. and know that you will be an advocate and hopefully government has seen you as a critical friend, mm. sometimes mm. more critical than, than other times, but, but it, it's that relationship that I think is so important. Yeah. So I, I wouldn't want government to start organising, um, re, you know, uh, roundtable discussions. I, I think there's a real benefit in trying to enable other people mm. to do that so, so that you have that independent thought. I would hope over the years we've provided plenty of material for this radio station <laughs> and for the newspapers. No, I, I, I think it's done an incredibly good job at raising the profile of customer services, raising the profile of things like mm. whether we should have an open skies policy, where, where um, wind farms are, for instance, which is, as you say, an ongoing, just raising that profile to, mm. to show what the opportunities the Isle of Man has in terms of travel, but also the risks. Mm. And we need to be conscious of those in a rapidly changing world and make sure we do the right thing for our, our people, but also mm. travellers coming backwards and forwards. And hopefully raising the profile of the importance of travel routes and good service it will, will stay. And, you, and you've, you've laid those foundations that other people, but particularly de- departments and government, can keep going. Yes, I think if we're leaving a legacy, the legacy will be of empowering passengers, uh, making them more aware of issues, making them more aware of how to take issues forward. If we've left that legacy, I'll be more than happy. That was Brendan O'Friel and John Pennington from Travel Watch and Minister for Enterprise, Alex Allenson. I hope you enjoyed this week's perspective and if you have any comments on the show please get in touch with philgorn at manxradio.com and let me know your thoughts. Undoubtedly travel to and from the Isle of Man will continue to be a big issue for the people of the island. And who knows this afternoon's debate may help shape the future of the services we all rely on. <laughs>